pretty much anything coming out of Quebec that has to do with the teaching of the game of hockey is worthy of my attention. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm a proud Quebecer and a proud Montrealer. This is Richard Berkison. You're listening to Grassroots, the minor hockey show podcast. The way the game is taught in Quebec, and the people who have been doing it since, well, forever it seems, have always impressed me. So when a group of Quebec development people host clinics, I want to check them out. Which I did with a series of online clinics they called Hockey Development. One session really jumped out at me. It struck a chord on the nuances brought to today's teaching approach. It was delivered by John Cara of Winnipeg. John is a development and skating teacher at a facility called The Rink in Winnipeg, where he's also the director of on-ice programming. As a coach, I was always on the lookout for that dark horse kid to make my team. Now, as a program developer and coaching mentor and instructor, I keep my eyes peeled for young, talented teachers, people who not only know what is needed, but how to do it. John is 37, has two kids of his own, and in this show, shares his unique perspective on teaching skating. He also delves into lesser-known topics like skate sharpening and lacing. Here's my recent chat with John Cara. All right, John Cara in Winnipeg. Thank you very much for joining me on uh, Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Podcast today. Uh, how are things in Winnipeg hockey-wise? Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, right now, we're just sorting through our, I think this is our third lockdown uh, right now. So um, there's not much going on with uh, not only hockey, but there's not much baseball or soccer going on at all. So it's pretty pretty quiet here recreationally and schools are shut down for for kids as well so it's tough for the kids are you guys doing it at, from your facility are you doing any online stuff with them uh we do have online um options set up but right now we're to be honest we're not doing a ton of it our last lockdown took place in the winter so uh we had a a huge outdoor rink program that we launched virtually that uh that was was very successful um, but this this time of year is typically uh, where players are playing spring hockey, etc. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit tougher to provide too much from an online standpoint. But we do have some stuff set up for our academy teams, etc., with some challenges, etc., that they're doing each week, um, just to keep them engaged and um, you know working on their skills. Okay, let's go back to uh, when you were playing uh, minor hockey uh, you you did play junior you played junior a and major junior university hockey so you have a pretty extensive playing background but when when you reflect now on uh 30 years ago 28 years ago what do you think you wish you had known or been taught more of that would have helped you um well i mean for me skating was always my my thing so it's funny you look back on it now and every summer I worked on my skating. <laughs> so I wish I would have found ways to work at, you know, some of the intricacies of the game. So whether it's, you know, one thing that comes to mind right away, I remember making the jump to junior and really struggling to receive a backhand pass. Um, so, you know, little things like that, little puck skills, I wish I learned more of. Um, I wish I had learned, you know, the way to shoot properly too, like growing up, um, stick flex, etc. had no idea about it. I mean, my dad took a hundred flex senior stick and cut it down for me. And that's, that's what I use. So, um, 
you know, technology in the game has changed, which has evolved. But, um, you know, I would say just some of the intricacies of the game, understanding, um, you know, ways that I could have created offense more with my skating um, and, and, and just more um, steps to get there. For me, it was always, you know, you know, I could skate wide and beat guys. Then I got to junior and I had a coach tell me, okay, well, you know, drive to the middle more so you can create that space. Well, I, I just had trouble putting that together. So just a little bit more direction from that, that standpoint. But um, I also think that the game's evolved um, a lot now too. And I think, you know, I had some great coaches the whole way through. My dad coached me all through minor hockey, which was a, a huge opportunity for me. And, um, you know, I think just the game has changed. I think the way people coach it now is completely different too. And their approach is that they do teach it step-by-step, step, whereas before it was kind of, you know, get out there and do it. Right. And so, you know, it's, you know, for me, it would have been the puck skill side of things. Uh, you know, I, like I said, skating was always a strength, but more so on the, the puck side of it, being creative with that and, and using my speed a little bit more. So you said skating was always your thing. And you make it sound as though you were more of a natural skater, uh, you know, na nature versus nurture in terms of the skill. Was that you? You were just uh, more of a it, natural skater? Yeah, like I, it's funny because uh, when I started, um, probably until I was five or six, I used to do like uh, all the can skate lessons and I would – fail the first time I did it so then I'd have to do it again and then I would move to the next level I'd fail and I'd move to the next so there's probably about three or four years there where I really really struggled with it um, but I do I would you know give a lot of the credit to to probably that foundation the fact that I really struggled at first and I really had to work at it um, you know at where my skating came from. I also would attest it a lot to my dad used to do a lot of work with me on, um, I used to rollerblade a lot cause we lived in the country and there was an asphalt, uh, strip that we could use. So I did a ton of rollerblading there. Um, but yeah, like it really, my foundation was really what I think set it for me. And that came from, you know, just your basic can skate and failing at it and having to try to, to learn it and get better at it. So it, it became a massive part of my game. I, I would say in a lot of cases, that's the reason I got to the levels that I did was because of my skating, not necessarily, uh, you know, puck skills or scoring. It was more the fact that I could play every position and I could skate in those positions. So, so now again, upon reflection and now as, as a skating instructor, well, t skills instructor, uh, would you say, that the lessons you learned as a kid yourself are now being applied to what you do, that you're doing more puck stuff with the kids than perhaps they would ordinarily get? Um, you know what? I wouldn't say so. I think that, um, I mean, I think from our standpoint, depending on what program you're in with us, I mean, we, we try as much as we can to look at each player and the level they're at and the development stage they're at and we reflect on what skills they need. So at a young age, same thing I went through, through the Ken skate. I mean, you know, I, we weren't touching pucks for a very long time and I didn't start playing hockey till I was eight, but um, you know, I think that 
for us, skating is still the foundation of everything that we try and establish in our programs. Um, but then, like I said, I, I really believe that coaching has evolved to now where you are, you're challenging players at a younger age to do things with a puck. And I think that that's really pushed the, you know, the skill side of the game too. So I mentioned in my, uh, my intro that uh, I watched you do, do a presentation on uh, the hockey development uh, series of clinics through hockey Quebec. Uh, and the very first couple of slides you, there were two things that jumped out at me. One was doctor versus specialist. What do you want to be? Because your audience was quite a mixture of skills coaches, hockey coaches, minor hockey coaches, you know, junior coaches. So I, I, I'll address that in a second. But the one that jumped out at me that I've never seen anybody do before in any way was your discussion of uh, the radius of hollow and the radius profiles on skates. Now, like I said, I've done a lot of clinics, attended a lot of clinics. I've never seen anybody address that. Why has that not been addressed before, do you think? Well, I can't, I can't speak for everyone else. Um, but, you know, you started talking about doctor versus specialist. And I think it relates back to that when you, uh, you know, on the example that I used in my presentation is that, uh, you know, if you get a, if you've got a cough or something like that, you'll go to the doctor. If it's more than that, they'll send you to a specialist. Well, what does a specialist do? A specialist focuses on specific areas. So if you're presenting specifically about skating and you want to be a specialist in it, then you should have an understanding of the tools that allow players to do that. So uh, when you look at players and you're starting to analyze and break things down and you want to be a specialist, you better have an understanding of their skates, you know, whether it's lacing pattern, whether it's the steel they use, whether it's the holder, uh, whether it's the size of the holder, uh, how they get their skates done. Um, you know, if you do want to separate yourself, I think it's important that you understand that. Same thing I would relate it to shooting. I mean, those are, those are tools, just like any specialist uh, that you name in any different field without the tools and the proper tools, they're not going to be able to perform at that level. So I think the sooner you can wrap your head around an understanding of the tools that, you know, help players to succeed. Um, you know, I think you're going to be, I believe you're going to make a huge difference in players by, by having that and be able to answer a lot more of, of what they need. So that was why my presentation, you know, I wanted, you know, to define that, that if you are attending this and you do want to separate yourself, um, you have to understand the tools. And there's, there's a lot I didn't mention in that presentation. That's stuff that uh, I've seen other people present on, whether it's offsetting a holder, et cetera, um, that I don't have a, I don't have the full retention on yet, but you know, that's stuff that I want to continue to learn as well. So. Can you explain what radius of hollow means and what radius profile means? So like when you're talking about the hollow, if you're looking at the bottom of your skate, it's basically the, uh, the depth between one edge to the other edge. So if you're looking at how your, your skate sits on the ice, uh, you've got the two edges sitting on the ice. It's that shape in between. That's the depth of your hollow. When you're talking about profile, now you're talking about how you shape your steel. So if you look at your skate from the side, 
um, you'll see the way that your steel is shaped. It might be a little bit smaller at the front. It might be bigger at the back. Um, there's, there's a ton of different um, profiles that you can get out there. Um, but again, it's, it's, to me, it's just an awareness piece. It's an understanding piece um, that again, if you want to be a specialist and really make a difference for your players, it's important you can answer those questions and, and just have them aware of the options. If we're talking about uh, the general average minor hockey coach coaching their seven-year-olds, their 11-year-olds, whether it's house league or competitive hockey, they don't know about it, about hollow. They don't know about profile. What's the minimum that they should have? Should they have a uh, like a profile of two, which means the sections of the skate? One would be, correct me if I'm wrong, one is pretty much the middle of the blade, mm -hmm, right? Sure, yeah. And two is the two middles of the blade, if we were to, you know, if we were to break up the blade into four slices. So what do yeah. you advocate? Yeah. Like for us, I mean, the, the starting point that we set players is, is, is at that dual radius, the nine, 10. Um, and that's just a starting point. And then when it comes to a, to a hollow, we always refer to players starting at about five eights and working from there. It's, it's a fine line and you and I both know this cause you've experienced, you know, coaching at a high level. Um, you don't want it to be a become a crutch for players. So, um, you know, as you transition to the next level and you get higher and higher up, like you also don't want to become that player that, you know, blames everything on that. But I do believe that it's important that players grasp that and understand what works for them. Are they going to have a trainer that can sharpen their skates at one inch all the time and give them a, you know, a quad radius profile? Probably not. Um, but just having an awareness of it, I think, is just important that there are options out there. But don't put everything into that. I think it's just another way of evaluating your skating. The ice conditions are going to change what uh, hollow you need in your skates. Um, if you take, for example, and um, I, I have the opportunity here to go for coffee, uh, you know, once uh, once a year with one of the trainers from the Jets, and we talk about a ton of different things. But one of the things I found fascinating is you look behind the bench and you'll see all the different sets of steel. So each player has, you know, at least two sets of steel just in case they break a blade. Some will have three or four. And we talked about at Madison Square Gardens how the ice conditions change from the pregame skate at 10 a.m. to when the arena fills up at 7 p.m. The temperature changes, the ice conditions change. So guys will change their steel out from the morning skate to the evening. Now that's at a professional level. So it's, it's, you're not going to have that in minor hockey, but again, to me, it's just, do you understand that that options out there? Do you know that that's how it works? Like that's that to me as a specialist, I go to a specialist cause I can get answers and they know that. Right. So that's a big part for, for us here at the rank is we try to try to educate ourselves all the time on stuff like that. So, so, so essentially the hollow means the depth of the U shape of the yes. edge. So when you're 100%. talking five eighths, yeah. that is how deep it goes. Yeah. Uh, a one eighth would be far shallower. Yes. And a zero out of eight would be flat. Yeah. 100%. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because when people go to get their skates sharpened, it's just, well, just do my skates. Just yeah. give me what I've got. I bought my skates 
two years ago. I'm using the same edge now as I was two years ago. But with kids, does it make a difference? And if so, how? You know what I think is like they said, I think at a certain age it does. Um, and that age to me is as things start to get, you know, more competitive, you start to get in a position where you settle into a body weight. I think at a younger age, I mean, I do think it makes a bit of a difference, but from my experience so far, and I relate everything back to my son, um, he's just getting going playing. He's eight years old and my daughter's six. So same thing with her. Um, I'm not too worried about their profile um, or their hollow. We get their skates done at five eights right now. And, um, you know, we've got a great skate sharpener here that, that takes care of them, but, um, I'm not, I wouldn't be too worried about those things until you get, you know, at least into, you know, 14, 15, 16. So it's like I said, it's just, for me, it's just for parents, for coaches, for everyone, just to have an awareness of what's out there and what you could, you know, be aware of and have an understanding of what might benefit you but you also have the side of it where you're analyzing a player and you're looking at can they create proper ankle flexion from their skates are they able to create the right body position like you know so as much as it is profile and hollow that's to me like I said and I keep saying it is more of an awareness piece than the be all end all of it now the the whole lacing thing was an interesting component of your presentation too where you were pretty much advocating that the top laces maybe the top one maybe even two should either be loose very loose or not done at all and i'm hearkening back to a different age way back where a certain well-known hockey instructor had suggested and was very adamant that just do the top three laces you don't even need to do the rest of them <laughs> and you would watch kids, you know, going back to my days and playing in, in way back in coaching where they would wrap tape around their ankles because they would want them to be like ski boots. Mm -hmm. You're saying something completely opposite. Mm -hmm. Well, again, I, I, I touched on it earlier. Like uh, I'll touch on a couple of things with that. The first thing would be is, is the technology in skates now, as opposed to ages ago. I mean, like, it's evolved massively like you are you're talking about is you want to back in the day you wanted to create that ski boot well now you're essentially with the technology and molding etc like you you are in a sense putting on a boot that fits similar to a ski boot it's tighter it's more supportive etc reverting back to what i was advocating for in my presentation what i would advocate for is and I said this more towards the end is that every single player is different. So there are players that are going to lace the top and are going to tape their skates at the top as well. Duncan Keith tapes the skates at the top, did it since he was young. I did it when I was young too. I never tried anything else. Um, Paul Coffey, same thing, right? Tape around the top. So you look at those two and if you get them to do what I showed in my presentation where they're off ice and they do a squat and then they put their skates on, do a squat, tape them up, do a squat. They might be able to achieve that ankle flexion and knee flexion. But my point was, is that you're going to have players that do not have that ability. And it might be at a young age, they might not have the ability to do that. 
And it's important for you to recognize, okay, I've looked at their skates. I understand their skates. Everything's good with that. They can't even bend their knees. How can I help them? That's where then you move into lacing pattern. You start to look at, okay, if we go down one eyelet, look at the difference it makes for you. You're able to achieve that. So my point but is, that's, but, but John, that's standing still on a carpet. You know, we're talking, we're talking about little kids being able to grip the ice, being able to transition yep. at the age of 10. Uh, and is it better to have a top lace loose or not done for younger kids? Again, it's going to come back to the player and I'll use my son and daughter, for example. So my son and daughter, uh, both of them, and I showed it in my presentation, use the what True's developed as this True power strap. And the idea of that is that you can still have that, what you're talking about, taping the top of the skate up, but now you have an elastic band that gives you that flexion. So they still feel that support, but they have the flexion. So they're down two eyelets in their skates. When my son skates without them, he's down one eyelet and he's eight. So to me, that that factor is very important. There will be some players that their parents can tie it as tight as they can to the top and they'll get comfortable. I would never advocate for a player at seven years old to be down two eyelets. I don't think that's reasonable at all. They don't have the ankle strength or the capacity to do that. Could they go down one eyelet? Potentially, depending how they, their skating is, you would have to look at that and see. But again, you look at younger player skates as opposed to skates that are made for you and I, they're also a lot weaker. So they have less support. The idea of the less support is that they can develop that ankle strength, etc. If you look at youth skates, the stiffest skate is the top of the line skate. So if you buy the top of the line Bauer for seven year olds, it's stiff, but as you move down, it's weaker. So you got to recognize that as well with your lacing pattern. So there is a lot of factors, but it's important you read, you know, into that. I would not be going down to, I, I wouldn't advocate for two eyelets for anybody under, you know, 16 type thing. They got to be have the strength to do it. What about lacing the skate so that they aren't so tight? You know, the kid yeah. will say, you know, no tighter, tighter, tighter. I hear that from little kids all the time. And yeah, but if you make them a little bit looser, of course, it's one lacing all the way from bottom to top. Yeah. So if you make it a little looser at the top, that is eventually as they move going to loosen the lacing all the way down. For sure. Yeah. No, a problem. Yeah. No, no, no. A hundred percent. I agree with you. And like, like I said before, the, skate technology and skates now too like they are looking that they try to make their skates so that you can lace them to the top like they're made so that they're laced to the top and they give you that support can you loosen them for sure like for me i had a i had a really high instep so my arch is really high so when i tie my skates i literally only pulled on the top three like that was all i pulled on the middle part i didn't even touch because my foot would cramp in my skate right um so yeah it's interesting to play around with that and that's something we we still play around with all the time we've we've uh taken some of our pro players and put them in the the true strap just to train them to be comfortable down one eyelet and the only reason we did it is because some of them had trouble achieving that ankle and knee flexion and as soon as we did it it made a, a massive difference in them so reverting back to the minor hockey i think 
you know, and I did this with my son, like I said, from when he started, um, you know, he had the strap on and it made a big difference for him um, with his knee bend and everything. He's still benefiting from it. So you very conveniently had an eight year old son and I have a six year old daughter and they sound like they're going to be your guinea pigs for the next six or seven <laughs> years in skating technology and lacing and sharpening yeah. and yeah. And all your research will come from those, uh, those two poor kids. My yeah. Well, my, uh, myself and, uh, we've got, we've got a bit of a team here, um, between a few of us, we've all got kids. So, uh, um, you know, I'm Good. sure you've been through this, but your, your kids kind of guide you and, yeah. and allow you to learn a ton from yeah. them teaching they, wise and everything. Yeah, they, they become your control group. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go now to the instruction part of this. Uh, what do you generally find most coaches who want to teach skating um, are not knowledge about, knowledgeable about? Well, I mean, the biggest thing for us right now, and you might ask me this question in six months and it might change, but I think the biggest thing that coaches aren't knowledgeable about is the glide factor, how important glide is on the ice. Um, you know, social media, et cetera, has made um, the flash and dash kind of a, you know, a big thing for a lot of coaches. So I would say in the last seven to 10 years, edges has become a huge thing. So everybody's focused on, you know, the inside and the outside edge, but I don't think there's enough education in, um, you know, gliding and the flats. So having bowl skates on the ice. And when you look at you take the time and you look generations back at the best skaters in the game. Yeah, they were good on their edges, but they also had phenomenal glide. Why did they have phenomenal glide? Because they were able to find their that flat position. So I think all too often with coaches, we stray away from some of the most basic things we teach at the start and we get into kind of the flashy things with skating because skating is a tough thing for kids. A lot of times, you know, they, they want pucks, etc. So if you can keep them entertained and have it beneficial. But for, uh, for us here as a group, one of the biggest things we focus on is glide and flats. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, a key skill if I had to identify. Interesting. You should mention that because I remember years ago and when I was coaching junior a in Ottawa, our team captain was a guy named Benoit. I don't want to, uh, embarrass him by giving his last name. Great guy, yeah. uh, a center, great skate, great, great skater. His glide phase, he would take the puck out of our zone and his feet would not, would just stop moving. Yeah. Now, remember, it's junior A, so I'm not teaching him skating. Nobody's teaching him skating. This is something he either had or was taught. Yeah. Between blue lines, nobody could touch him. And he was gliding the whole time. It, it didn't look, look like his feet were moving at all. Yeah. How does one achieve that? How do we get our kids to be able to do that? Just like to me, it's it's the same things you do with you know, my dad used to always tell me to shoot pucks all the time. I think the more that you practice it and do it, and it's part of your warm up. So it's not it's not gliding with your skates outside your shoulders, sitting on your inside edges. It's strictly finding your flats. One or two strides, glide. Um, and I also think it's players having an understanding that it's not only gliding with two skates on the ice, it's gliding unilaterally. So it's being able to balance on one foot it's being able to jump and land in that same position. 
um, as simple as those movements are, I think the whole way up, if you have a focus on those and you work on those, that that's naturally going to improve a, a player's skating. Um, so that's a big thing for us is just that glide phase. I don't think there's enough focus on it because it seems so basic and it is, but you look at the best players and they, they have it and they work at it and their feet are always in that good spot. McDavid's glide phase, he takes four or five strides and then he glides. And when you're gliding, you're able to make more decisions. You have more awareness for players to have an understanding that they could take five or six strides and reach a max speed. And then if they could glide properly, be able to maintain it would be a massive thing. I think that coaches could start to instill in players. But first they have to be able to reach their max speed. hundred percent. So then you jump into starts, but if you're looking at one underlying thing for me, it would be that it would be glide. And I, it's not sexy enough for a lot of guys. So I think they get away from it. So when you're talking about glide, you're talking about in a seated position or a knee bent position. Are you talking about the upper body from the waist hinging forward? Are you talking about ankle flexion as well? All of the above parts of the above. Yeah. I mean, the basis of it, what I'm talking about is the basic hockey stance. So basic knees over toes, ready position. So one hand on the stick, just being able to glide and, and being ready and reactive. You look at from that position, what you can do in a game to be reactive, whether it's with the puck or without, you can cross over one way. You can keep quickly shift on your edges. Um, I think it's just, I think it's a massive portion and it leads into edges. It leads into awareness on your blades. It leads into decelerations, which we're talking about now. Um, you know, like, I think it's a, a massive thing. So what do coaches spend too much time on? What do coaches spend too much time on? And that's a good question. I think, you know, every coach is different. I would say, like I said at the start, that I think a lot of coaches advance the sexy skills. So edges is a big thing right now. But the big underlying thing for me with coaches would be, I, I think all too often we push to doing things with a puck way too soon. So players don't have the foundation set yet and you're already getting them to do a tight turn. Um, you know, it, one of the things we tried out here at one point was using with young players was using rings, ring at rings for tight turns instead of a puck. Well, why do you do that? because your stick leads you through a turn. It allows them to get used to that and allows them to keep their eyes up. All too often, we want to get a puck on their stick right away. So that would be one of the downfalls for me. And then just knowing why you're doing things. Why are you teaching the things you're doing? Why are you doing edges? Is it because you're doing a tight turns lesson? So what edges are you going to focus on in that tight turns lesson? Okay, what edges are you going to do for a stops lesson? What edges are you going to do for glide? Um, I think everything has to be done with a purpose and all too often it's just, like I said, it's something we find on the internet because there's so much out there, but we need to know and to find the why behind it, why we're doing it. There are various schools of thought on how and when to apply puck skills to skating instruction. There's one school of thought that says, no, no, keep do the, do the skating skills completely separately, add the pucks another day. There's another school of thought that says do everything with pucks. And then somewhere in the middle is do it without pucks 
and then do it with pucks. What's your thought on that? Yeah. So for us, everything we do is a, uh, is a technical component. So very technical teaching, slow buildups. And then we always finish with tactical. So we, you know, everybody knows it's like putting, uh, putting food out for your dog in the morning. When you put pucks out on the ice, there's, there's energy from everybody. So, um, we always like to start with a little bit of puck touches as a little smaller game or something to challenge players could be soccer, could be something different. And then we like to jump into real technical, like real deep teaching. And then, like I said, finishing with pucks at the end, we always want to give some puck touches because that's where you're going to really find your game analysis for players. So they can do it without a puck. That's fine. But if they can't do it with, that's where you're going to lead to your teaching points for your next lesson. You brought up an interesting uh, uh, thought a few moments ago when you, you mentioned the tactical part. In normal hockey parlance, when we're talking about technical versus tactical, people say, well, skating skills are technical, puck skills are technical, passing skills are technical. Tactical means um, individual tactics, as, as espoused by Hockey Canada, uh, small group tactics, team tactics, you know, forechecking, all that kind of stuff. However, what you said was you, you burrow right down. I think this is what you said. You burrow right down to highly technical teaching of glide or edges or whatever it is you're teaching. And all of a sudden, when you add a puck, that becomes a tactical part of the technical teaching. 100%. The game's played with a puck. So basically, you're taking what you've taught technically and you've got to put it in a game setting. So everything we're doing from a teaching standpoint leads them up to that point where now they're in more of a game setting. You got a puck on your stick, you got to skate to a certain spot and receive a pass. So it's putting in those extra skills and adding them in there to challenge them to be able to maintain their technique in that setting. So that's what we refer to as tactical. It's not necessarily the X's and O's of it. There are certain skills we'll teach that'll have that, but for us, it's more, uh, from an individual standpoint, how do you apply this into your game and what setting will you see it in? You have to create drills that create that setting or that situation for players to master it in because then that will lead to that great game transference of that skill. The session that I saw you present on Hockey Development a couple of weeks ago was really, I think the title was uh, Small Space Skating, I think, or something like that. Small Area Agility. Small skating. Area Agility, yeah, or words yeah. to that effect. Um, when you're doing your teaching, are you doing it in small space or, or larger space generally? Oh, it's interesting. So um, when I started with the rink, simple answer, we do a ton of work in small areas. Long answer, um, when I started um, with the rink hockey court back in 20, it's been 12 years, so uh, yeah, back in 2009, I guess. Just thinking, uh, think everything in terms of pre-kid and post-kid. Yeah, exactly. Much, much easier that way. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. But yeah, I think it was 2008 or 2009 when I finished playing. Um, started with the rink and our facility, we only had 120 by, or 110 by 50 ice sheet. So we had a small training sheet. So we wanted to create programming at that facility that not only welcomed intro level players, but all the way up to professional players. 
So what we had to do was look at ways that a 14 year old could still do power skating with us all the way up to a pro on that small ice sheet. So whether it was smaller groups, but what did that ice create? So we watched a lot of our three on three scrimmages we had, and we looked at the skills that were created in it. So it was, you know, how do guys create space? Well, they use toe turns, punch turns, you know, they're fishing in their tight turns. It wasn't necessarily forwards strides to create distance. It was that ability to have those first three or four quick strides. So in my presentation, I got to give all the credit to my experiences on that small ice. And when we moved to this new facility, we expanded the ice a bit. We put in 120 by 60 ice sheets. So we kept our training rink and then we have a full sheet as well. But the goal of that, that ice sheet is if you look at a playoff games going on right now, everything is happening in small spaces around the ice. You're down low and everything. And that's what that ice forces players to do is they're forced in those situations. They got nowhere to skate and escape. They're in a tight space. So it's so for me and, and what we do here is we try to teach to that because if we can get players better in those areas, they're going to have more success when they get on the big ice. Right. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so long answer, short answer. So, right. With, with your teaching approach, do you spend a lot of time with the kids doing many reps and intervening as you go? Or do you give them instruction at the beginning, instruction at the end, and you're focused on they've got to do four, five, six really quality reps as opposed to volume? Quality. Quality. Yeah. Yeah, we're quality. I, we... Uh, our biggest thing here is small groups and a strong player to coach ratio. But not only that, it's that all of our coaches are trained as well. So every one of our coaches, like you're talking about the coaching clinic that you attended the other day, that's what we do with our coaches here. And I think that's really what separates us is that our assistants are not just puck pushers. Our assistants are educated. Our assistants are you know, if it's you and me on the ice, you're able to teach that end. I'm able to teach this end, and it's the same level of analysis and same specialist type training that you're receiving. So that's where we try to separate ourselves um, is that analysis of players and how they skate. So we need quality out of that. We don't need a million reps. So how do you know when to stop a child a player during their reps? Are you looking for a key component or what are you looking for something else well that's where that so we talked about the analysis and education um so for us it's it's getting our coaches to the point where when they're watching a player um and the other thing we try to do is really get to know our players so the players that train with us because every player and you know this from your coaching experience Every player, you can say one thing and they'll inter they, there could be 10 different interpretations in your group. So it's your approach to players. It's your approach, whether it be a male or a female player. Do you call them out in front of a group? We never do that. We always try and teach one-on-one. -on -one. When will we stop a player? We'll usually let them do a couple reps and we'll find some common tendency through that rep. Stop them, adjust them, okay, keep going, move on. So basically maybe not the clearest answer but in a roundabout way you've got to be able to read your group but 
we want to address things quickly with players, but we also want to analyze and watch them and see, you know, if there's something else within that that we can break down. But we really try to try to give them that feedback as fast as we can. Do you uh, use video with uh, with the kids, particularly the younger ones, like under 14? So the way we utilize video in our programming is we use video um, to show players skills being performed. So we'll show a lot of clips, whether it be NHL or, or WHL or, or, or uh, college, and we'll show clips of the skill kind of at the highest level being done. Secondary step that we use, uh, we use iPads on the ice and we utilize those more in, you know, one-on-one -on -one settings or if we have a small enough group. The biggest thing with any of that that we found is that you have to be extremely efficient with the use of your video so it doesn't take away from any of the flow of your sessions. So you want quality reps, 100%, but you also don't want to spend all your time with players on one knee reviewing videos. So if you're going to do it, you got to be efficient with it. So we utilize it that way. We use it with um, in our camp setting. Uh, we use it uh, in our summer setting. We use it in our programming throughout the winter. But again, it's specific to each program um, based on the size and capacity of those groups as well. I understand that uh, in 2017, you uh, ran the development sessions with um, the Hockey Canada U17 summer program. Yep. So you're dealing with some pretty skilled players, some pretty skilled 16-year-olds there. What did you notice about their skating? Um, what would I notice about their skating? So when I was there, uh, my focus was specifically uh, on the defensive side. So I worked with the defensemen. Um, and the biggest thing I noted with their skating um, would have been on the transition side as well as the ability to um, move laterally without having to use a ton of crossovers. So what I guess, you know, taking me back to 2017, I think the biggest things I found there was that they were inefficient with transitions, but a lot of that related back to the fact that they were inefficient using their edges which meant they had to use a lot of crossovers. So you saw a lot, a ton of crossovers as they would come out of a transition, whether it be forwards or backwards. And then same thing in a one-on-one -on -one setting, had to use a ton of crossovers, which caused a ton of lateral movement like this. Instead of having that ability to do, you know, utilize one or two crossovers, get moving, move laterally just with pushes instead of having to utilize crossovers. So that was some of the big things. The other things that, I worked on a lot with them was uh, line movement sequences. Um, so basically getting off the wall to the middle of the ice and being able to, uh, everybody saw Makar's goal last night. So being able to move across the line without having to fully commit your body one way. So using that 10 and two or that shuffle where you can create deception and you can have movement. So, from a skating standpoint, those were the biggest things that I was focusing on with guys when I was there. And then probably the biggest thing for puck skills was underhandling. Um, so a lot of defensemen, players in general, get pucks and they have Patrick Kane syndrome where they want to just, you know, handle it a ton. Well, I mean, he's a pretty elite level special player and, and worked at that a lot. But for most players, it's important that, 
you know, we have the ability to underhandle. I think you can create a lot of deception with that. For defensemen, you can keep your eyes up and you can create more subtle space for yourself just with uh, underhandling the puck. So U17 setting, that was that was a big focus. But my, my role there was to fit within our team framework um, and identify skills that would relate to the topics that our coach Gilles Bouchard uh, wanted to co- uh, to cover in our session. So it was a quick kind of sprint or a snapshot, um, but those were those are some of the biggest things I noted. And again, each player was unique. We had uh, we had a guy named Justin Barron from Halifax who was a phenomenal skater. He reminded me of a guy I uh, played with a guy named Mike Green. Um, who was with Washington Capitals, Detroit, like phenomenal player. Um, and, but again, each player was different, but in that setting, you had to kind of lump everybody in. So it was, it was a little bit different, but it was good. Great experience. Well, certainly for an instructor like yourself, it's pretty limiting in terms of the amount of time you have to, uh, to work with their skills. You, you pretty much inherit a skill foundation such as it is. Yeah. And have to work within that and hope that you can get a couple of things across. Yeah. And that was, that was the whole goal of it was, um, you know, from a summer development standpoint, what were things that would allow those guys to, you know, if they're motivated enough, what could they take away from the camp that when they went home, they could continue to work at. So when they came back to the team setting, they, uh, you know, they'd be further ahead. So, um, you know, we had, a we had a great team. We had, uh, we had Peyton Krebs. We had Lafreniere. Um, you know, we had Bowen Byram as well on the back end. So, uh, you know, we had a really good team and, and Jill's was, Jill Bouchard was a phenomenal coach. Um, he was an educator. He was someone that took the time to teach, blow it down, stop it, instruct, involve every coach. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. I haven't talked about that in a long time. So thanks for bringing that up. One of the, um, the challenges of coaching older kids, 14, 15, 16, let's say somewhere in that age group who are not the elite have not been exposed to hockey schools or skating instruction and coaches want them to be better at, let's say transitions or turns or pivots. What do you suggest they do? Aside from watching your videos, have a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. they've already been told that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it's it's that's where again I come back to the analysis portion. So you've got a player that hasn't had exposure to some of those things. It, are they athletic? You know, are they an athletic built player? Do they have flexibility? Are there things that they could do both on and off the ice that you could tie in together to accelerate their development? Um, you know, finding, finding ways that you can, you know, build that foundation in them or work within it because they've already got things set. Like you said, they're 14, 15 years old. Things are pretty much set up for them at that age. Um, but I completely feel that you can make a difference with a player at any age. Uh, our pro guys, I feel like we can make a difference. 14, new to the game. Okay, he's not athletic. He is athletic. Is he flexible? Can I change his lacing pattern? Can I do this with them? Um, I think those are probably the players that excite you the most to coach because of the difference and the benefit you can make. But is it a challenge? 100%. 
Um, but you got to find different ways to get through that player at that age than a younger age for sure. So, John, given that everything is pretty much shut down where you are in Manitoba and where I am in, in Ontario, and we're looking at, for the most part, off-ice stuff for the foreseeable future, what things can we suggest to coaches do or get kids do uh, in the off-season to improve their skating? To improve their skating? Well, first thing, like, I mean, I'll come back to the specifics of skating, but a big thing for us is uh, – athlete diversity so um you know if you're locked in your house i'm sure you still have a, a ball you can kick around in your backyard or do something so first thing i would say is do uh do other sports pick up something new do something that challenges you out of your comfort zone um, because all too often we look at training that you've got to go to the gym and you've got to work out um like I said, with us for athletic diversity, our big thing is, you know, play a different sport, play beach volleyball. The benefits you gain from beach volleyball are huge, you know, like agility, all those things. And every sport is like that, challenges you a different way. Now, if I revert back to skating, a lot of the movements that we perform on the ice can be done off the ice. So whether it's uh, simulated skating for stride location, whether it's crossovers, whether it's uh, that under push, um, getting players at home on a hardwood floor or linoleum floor to be able to put, you know, a towel under their foot and be able to move through those different movements for hip flexibility, um, squat jumps and, and hops and, and developing power in your legs. But skating wise, everything that, um, you know, that I talked about it, you know, even in my presentation, other than the toe turns, but I still think you can do things off the ice to dissociate your upper and lower body pro turns. You can do stuff with agility where someone's chasing you. Um, you know, the punch or the hybrid a little bit different, but same, you know, thing being able to stop and go, you can do all that off ice. Um, so I think, like I said, multi-sports athlete diversity, and then just thinking of ways like it, it's, it's kind of an exciting time right now being stuck in lockdown because you got to find ways to do things. And I think for us, anyways, it's brought us to a new level of finding ways to teach things. So the off ice portion, you can hundred percent relate it to what you're doing on the ice. So working through those same skating patterns is what I'd recommend from a skating standpoint off ice. Athlete diversity. I don't know. We've been preaching that for years and years and years to try to yeah. get kids away from playing hockey 12 months a year. And then COVID hit, COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. So it helps a little bit, but yeah. All right, John Cara, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And uh, I wish you the best with uh, the rink in Winnipeg. Awesome. And uh, hopefully we'll touch base again and do a session with our coaches or something. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, it's Richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com. If you want to get in touch with me about this, uh, this particular podcast, and I can, I can connect you to John, but um, John, take care of yourself. Yeah. Thanks Rich. You had some hey, good, hey. Hard, good, hard questions there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, good work with the Guinea pigs. Keep those two, uh, those two kids of yours as Guinea pigs for the next little while. I will for sure. Thank at, you. At, at some point they're going to say, dad, stop. Dad, stop <laughs> telling me. Dad, stop it. I get it. I know. It's already, it's already been said. My it's already daughter, been done. My daughter makes that clear. So, okay. All right. Thank you, John. Take care of yourself. Okay. Thanks, Richard. Bye. Bye.